Good morning and happy Sabbath, church. Mel, I'm, uh, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that gets emotional. Um, we are going to be an absolute wreck when Jesus comes back. <laughs> um, and I think a few of you will be surprised as well. Um, I just think of the song, um, I can only imagine what it's going to be like to see Jesus for the first time. Um, yeah, I just want to say how grateful I am to be here. It has been a long time coming. Um, we, got, we got a little stuck in Finland for a while, um, and it's nice to hear a church service in English. Um, that is really, really nice to the ears, um, to actually be able to understand uh, what I'm listening to without translation. And I think Vera is quite happy that it's in English too, because she isn't up here translating as well. Um, yeah, it's just so nice to be back here in my home church, where I feel comfortable. Um, I know you guys and um, feel very welcome, so thank you. For having me. Um, this morning we're going to be spending our time in a Bible character that um, to the average human being, would, they would probably know who this Bible character is. Um, to a regular person on the street, um, they would know who Jonah is. Um, everyone's heard of the story of Jonah. Um, but I, my prayer is that we will discover Jonah in a new light, in a new way that is fresh. And I hope that this morning that you fall deeper in love with the Word of God. Because it's amazing. It's incredible. Um, and so we're going to be exploring the story of Jonah. Um, I've titled it The Jesus Jonah. Uh, and you'll find out why. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. Um, I thank you so much that you lead us and that you have the future in control. Um, I thank you that um, we have your word and that your word can change lives, just like your word in creation made things happen. Your word in scripture can make things happen too. I just pray that uh, you speak to us this morning in a powerful way through the story of Jonah. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be focusing on this super interesting character um, named Jonah. And I, I'm going to do something a little bit crazy. Okay, so strap yourselves in. We're going through the whole book of Jonah. Who's excited? Yeah, I am replacing Ty Gibson today. So I hope that you're expecting a long... No, I'm kidding. We're not going to be here till, till the late hours of the night. But we are going to skim over the whole book, or most of the book of Jonah, um, because the big picture that we get from the book of Jonah is incredible. Um, and so uh, I, I do have to say, though, as I was preparing this sermon and as I was um, preparing to speak... This book has quickly become one of my favorite books in, 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 in all of Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament. You know, it's easy to understand, but the lessons are amazing of what God is trying to teach us within this book. Um, and, and what made this book so interesting for me um, was the context surrounding the book of Jonah. And if you're like me, I was pretty unfamiliar with the context surrounding the book of Jonah. When, when, when did Jonah even, when was he even alive? Um, and so we're going to explore two things first up this morning. The first thing we're going to explore is the historical context. Let's actually find out when this even happened. And then the second thing we're going to explore is what I'm going to call or I'm going to label the Jesus context. 
The Jesus context of the story of Jonah. What does Jesus say about the story of Jonah and how we're to understand this interesting, weird, quirky story that we find uh, in, in, in the Old Testament? And, and so to begin with, we're going to run through a little bit of history. And so bear with me. It is interesting. Um, we actually... Jonah is barely mentioned outside the book of Jonah except for once in the Old Testament, one other place in the Old Testament, and a few times in the New Testament by Jesus. The one other time in the Old Testament is super vital and important because it gives us the historical context of when this happened, when the story of Jonah happened. So in 2 Kings 14.25, and there's no need to turn there unless you want to see it, For the sake of time, we don't need to turn there. But it actually says that Jonah was alive during the reign of King Jeroboam. Now, King Jeroboam was the first king of the northern tribes of Israel. And King Amaziah was the first king of the southern tribe or tribes of Israel called Judah. So it's just after the nation of Israel has split They've just broken up as a nation. So we have internal conflict within the Israelites. They're split into two. There's conflict. There's wars within them. They have two kings now. But that's not their only problem. That's not the only thing that they're facing. You see, at that time, a few years previous to that, the Israelites had actually regained some land from Assyria. Now, Assyria was the other... Um, world empire at that time fighting for supremacy. So they're not so stoked on this. We have Assyria and we have Israel. Israel's already dealing with internal conflicts within their own nation. And then they have to deal with this whole big empire that's trying to pretty much eliminate them. Um, And so this is where we find um, the story of Jonah, situated right in a difficult time for the Israelites, for God's people. So these two nations are fighting for supremacy and war was at hand for Israel and Assyria was the enemy. And it's very interesting, the east and west and the north and south trade routes for Assyria cross at Nineveh. It's the most populous city of Assyria at that time, is Nineveh. So now we can start to see why this is so vital and important to understand when we come to the book of Jonah. It's immensely important. We know what God is asking Jonah to do now, to go to Nineveh, to the center, to the capital of Assyria. So I want you to tuck that bit of knowledge in the back of your head while we explore the Jesus context really quickly. Um, And I was asking God when I was reading, reading Jonah, preparing this sermon, I was like, How would you even want me to understand the book of Jonah? How does it and what does it reveal about you? Like, It's an interesting story. It's very interesting to read. It's great. Um, But but what purpose does it have? And I wanted wanted an answer from Jesus. And he speaks about this in in John 5.39. It says, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of that time, and he says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But they, they, uh, but they are which that testify of me. Now, Jesus at that time, 
was not talking about the New Testament that's all about Jesus. You see, when Jesus said that, there was no such thing as the New Testament, the Gospels or anything. He's talking about the Old Testament. They testify of Jesus. So he is completely and radically changing the framework in which the religious leaders were thinking. You see, they had Scripture memorized. They had schools where they would learn Scripture. It was everything in their culture. But they didn't see Jesus. And he was trying to teach them that everything that I'm doing, it's already been said in the Old Testament. You want to know who I am? It's all been prophesied in the Old Testament. And here we find the Jesus Jonah. Jesus' story encapsulated in a type, in, in Jonah's story as well. And if you'd like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 41. Matthew chapter 12. This is where Jesus actually talks specifically about the book of Jonah. Matthew chapter 12, 38 to 41. And we're going to discover the context and the purpose of the book of Jonah, which is completely redefined in Christ. What does he say about it? I think that's super important. Uh, when Jesus has something to say about it, I think we should listen. Uh, so starting in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Who's asked that from God before? I want to see a sign from God. Yeah, very common question. But listen to what Jesus says. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Ouch. Um, I kind of set you guys up for that one. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Um, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So the Pharisees coming to him asking for a sign are you the Messiah and prove it to us? Are you the Messiah? What sign do you have? And you see, God's primary way of revealing himself is always the same. It's never changed. It's God's word. It's in his word. They were asking for a miracle, but yet they had the, God, the word of God in their minds and in their hands and they were asking for a sign. They were asking for a sign. Church, it's no different for us today. It's no different for us today. We need to be a church reading and exploring and, and, and experiencing the Word of God daily, every day. And we won't need a sign from God because it is all a sign of God. Here, Jesus is simply saying that, that Jonah was a type of Jesus. Jonah was the sign to the Pharisees of who Jesus was. Very interesting. He foretold Jonah's, uh, Jesus' experience in Jonah, in Jonah's story. And so just like the rest of the Old Testament, Jonah was testifying of Jesus himself. That's the main purpose of Jonah, is to know more and more 
about Jesus, the one that came to save us. Um, so now you can see that these two pieces of information that we've got, we've got the historical context. We know what's happening in the world then. We also have the Jesus context. We know what Jesus has to say about it. Let's discover the book of Jonah now. Let's dive into it. Let's see how it opens up our understanding and the lessons we can learn now are, are unbelievable. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, it comes after the book of Amos and Obadiah and before the book of Micah. It's in between all those, those little minor prophets, kind of difficult to find. And there's so much here. We're going to start in verse 1 from the very beginning. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going um, to Tarshish. He, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. How important is our historical context here? We now know what God is asking Jonah to do. God is asking Jonah to go and be a prophet to a Gentile nation that is a threat to you right now. Go to a Gentile nation that's a threat to you right now. These are the enemies. Why would you send me to the enemies of God? I've got a better plan. I'm heading the other way. I'm heading the other way. And so, no wonder Jonah didn't want to go. If I was stuck in that situation as well, <laughs> I don't think I would have gone. They are a threat. They are our enemies. The best thing we could do is wipe them out. Jonah, I think, if you, if you understand the role of a prophet, and especially in the Old Testament, they weren't the most liked people. They said harsh things. They didn't say what people liked. They weren't appreciated. They weren't surrounded with love and they weren't popular. They had a tough life, really tough life. But what about Jonah's calling? That's even tougher. Not only is it for your people, it's for a Gentile nation. Like, How much are your own people going to hate you after that? You're being called to go to a Gentile nation, to the heart of Assyria. So Jonah was told to go to a great city where the wickedness had gone up to heaven, gone up to God. Now, is there someone else who was sent to a world where the wickedness has gone up to heaven? Don't, um, um, was Jesus not sent to this wicked world as well? Just like Jonah, we were enemies to God. We were enemies to him. The Assyrians were enemies. The Ninevites were enemies to Jonah. And Jesus came to us as well. And so we can see the Jesus-Jonah story being told here. Jonah was asked by God to show the world the truth and reality of Jesus' love by going to the enemy. Going to the enemy. For God rescues enemies. And I want to make an important point here. Don't ever think like you have walked down the path 
of an enemy of God too far. Because God, God's expertise is in saving enemies. God's expertise is in calling back people that were enemies of his. He reconciles enemies. Um, so Jonah, he ran from the presence of God. He doesn't do what God has asked him to do. And he tries to run from the presence of God. He tries, um, and we'll continue the story in verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that when the ship was about to be broken up, then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Does now this story of a man in a crazy storm falling asleep in the bottom of a boat remind you of any other particular story that we find? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus went through this exact same experience. And if you'd like to turn there quickly, we're going to find that the story is almost identical, but one thing at the end. Matthew chapter 8, 23. Matthew chapter 8. These stories are almost identical. And I can tell you that the disciples would have known the story of Jonah. They were educated in the Old Testament. They knew the story of Jonah, and they're going to go through the same experience as what Jonah went through. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And it says here, Now when he got into, into a boat, this is Jesus here, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep, just like Jonah. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm and listen to their response so the men marveled saying who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him you see the disciples knew the story of Jonah and they've just experienced the same thing but what they would have learned from the story of Jonah is a prophet can't stop the wind and the waves there's nothing Jonah could have done to stop the wind and the waves but Jesus could Jesus could with his word. They say, who can this be? Who can this be? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Their response is the same response as anyone who's familiar with the story of Jonah. How can the wind and the waves obey Jesus? Jesus said that no other sign except for the prophet Jonah will I give. And this is the sign. He was the Messiah. He was greater than a prophet. Only God um, could do what Jesus did to stop the winds and the waves. You see, when Jonah, uh, Jonah couldn't stop the wind and the waves, it was God that stopped the wind and the waves in that situation. 
and the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus. He was showing himself to be the God of the heavens and the sea. And come back with me to Jonah as we pick up the story in chapter 1. And Jonah is woken up and he calls um, upon his God. He's asked to call upon his God. And the men of the boat start casting lots. Find out who's responsible for this problem that we find ourselves in. Our ship is about to be broken up if we don't sort this out quickly. And they ask Jonah a series of questions when the lot lands on him. And they become exceedingly afraid. And let's pick it up in verse 12. It says, And he, this is Jonah speaking, said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. What an interesting way to solve the problem. He doesn't say, hey guys, I think we should turn the ship around. Let's go back. It's my fault. Or he doesn't try to find, you know, get more cargo off board or point the fingers at someone else. He goes, pick me up. Like literally, pick me up and throw me off. And here I see Jonah offering up his life willingly. He understands that the problem is because of him. And he's going to willingly offer up his life so that the sea would become calm for the mariners. And this reminds me of our Saviour. He offered up his life willingly, freely. He didn't, he didn't point the finger. He didn't point the finger at you or me. He could have. He could have maybe rowed the ship in a different direction. He doesn't. He put himself on a cross for you and me. For all of us. Jesus gave his life willingly. And it gets even more interesting. Uh, Verse 13, we're going to continue. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. They're not happy with Jonah's solution. They rode hard to return to land. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, Please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And this is where it gets really, really cool, really interesting. Let's look at these few verses for just a moment and digest them in the Jesus context that we find them in. Jonah, who is a type of Jesus, offers up his life willingly. And then here in the story, we see that men try and row him back. They're not happy with that solution. They try and row him back to safety, to save Jonah's life. But the sea becomes more and more and more tempestuous against them. They can't fight the sea. They're trying. The mariners are rowing, but nothing is happening. And they decide to clear themselves of the guilt of this innocent man. And they throw him into the sea after washing their hands. And I so hope you're catching on to what is happening here. Weren't there men who Jesus offered up his life to? Were not Pilate and his officials these men? Did not Pilate try and row Jesus back to safety? 
He saw him as an innocent man. He tried to save Jesus' life right at the end. He's rowing against this, this sea that is becoming more and more tempestuous because the sea is crying, crucify him, crucify him. And eventually Pilate realizes he's up against something that he can't fix. And he washes his hands from the guilt of an innocent man and he throws Jesus into the sea. Isn't that amazing? The connection that we see in Scripture, the Jesus Jonah. Jonah is telling the story of Jesus. He's telling the experience of Jesus. Let's, let's finish the chapter off, 16 and 17. Then these men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Gentiles being converted after the sacrifice of Jonah. What do we see in the New Testament? The gospel goes to the Gentiles as well. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I want to stop here and just focus on this verse for a moment and just look at the tense that we find this verse in. It says that God had prepared a great fish. God had prepared the fish. That's past tense. He already had it sorted out. And I want to tell you today that if you have walked away from God, He has already prepared and ironed out the creases for your return. It's already there. The fish was already there for Jonah to come back to Jesus. Your pathway back to God God's already figured it out. Past tense, solved, done, dealt with. Just turn and come back. Before Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God had a plan of redemption, had a plan of redemption. Before the flood, God had a way out. God had a solution. Before Jonah turned to come back to the Lord, he had prepared a fish. It happens over and over and over again. God wants you to be with him, and he's going to figure out how it's going to happen. Amazing. So we're going to skip over chapter 2 quickly for the sake of time, and we're going to go into chapter 3 and read the first few verses in chapter 3. Chapter 2 is the prayer that Jonah gives inside um, the, the belly of the great fish. And it's very interesting if you have time later to look into that and compare it to Jesus' Gethsemane experience in the heart of the earth. Um, but chapter 3, we're going to have a look at starting in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying... This is Jonah's second chance that he gets. God is a fan of second chances. Although he'd love the first chance, he'll go with the second, the third, the fourth. This is Jonah's second chance. And God says in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God. And I'll just stop there. 
The people of Nineveh just believed God. Does that sound surprising to anyone? Anyone want to walk to like Las Vegas or Sydney or something and try that? Like, in my mind, trying to comprehend this story, this historical story that actually happened, how, how could a whole nation that was enemies of Jonah be converted? How does that actually happen? And more context surrounding um, the, the book of Jonah is needed. You see, the Ninevites believed in a series of gods, many, many gods. One of their gods was called Dagon. And the Dagon god was a fish god. And Jonah came from the mouth of a fish with a message. Isn't that fascinating? Jonah came from the mouth of a fish uh, with a message. He was literally vomited out of the mouth. And where does a message come from? It comes from the mouth. Jonah had a message for the Ninevites. And it was speaking in their language. God knew how to speak in their language, how to grab their attention. No wonder they listened to Jonah. No wonder they listened to Jonah. You see, in the New Testament, there's also a Dagon God. It's called a Roman cross. And he knows how to speak to us in our language. This Roman cross is the sign of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. The fish was the sign of the resurrection of Jonah. The cross and the grave, and as he comes out, is the sign that is to go to the rest of the world and to be preached. And so Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. No sign will be given because no more is needed. No more is needed. Christ and his story is everything to us. It is the sign. What Jesus did is the sign. But those of you who have read the story of Jonah before, you know there's four chapters to this book. And this is where it gets really, really fascinating and interesting because Jonah doesn't have the typical... Uh, experience or response to what has just happened that maybe a preacher or an evangelist would have. I would be excited if a whole city turned and started following God. But let's find out what happens to Jonah. Verse 1. But, it's not a good start if it starts with but. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he said... Uh, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Like, what? How could this be displeasing to Jonah? He sent once again. He he is sent once again to the Ninevites, and it's successful. His journey is successful. The Israelite nation is saved. One of the greatest stories of redemption that, to be honest, comes, at, comes quite easy for Jonah. And he's angry. He's angry. He's exceedingly, he's displeased. It displeased jo- Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. And I think the next two verses are the most crazy and bizarre two verses you'll find in all of Scripture. The most crazy and bizarre verses you'll find in all of Scripture in the next two verses. So listen carefully. 
So he prayed to the Lord, and look at what he says to the Lord, and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. Didn't I say this would happen before? For I know that you are a gracious God, and that you are gracious, a merciful God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents from doing harm. Isn't that an amazing testimony of who God is? Listen to the next verse. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Like what? This is the biggest contradiction you'll find. Jonah just explains that God is the God that we all want. God is the God that loves like no other God loves. He's merciful like no other God is. He forgives in an instant. He forgets in an instant. And he loves you. He's gracious. He's, he's merciful towards you. And he says, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Like what? Why? Why, Jonah? This is the best news that you can have period, ever, that God is like that. Because we all have a chance then, if God is like that. Jonah's anger towards his enemy ruined it all. It ruined it all. It ruined God's character for him. God wasn't a God he wanted to follow anymore. His hate for his enemy destroys the best conceivable news ever. And this might be a really challenging thought because it's challenging for me. But how do you feel about loving a God who loves your enemies? How does that make you, like, ouch. How does that make you, like, feel it's uncomfortable? What about this? How do you feel about God loving your enemy just as much as he loves you? For Jonah, it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay that God loved the Assyrians, the Ninevites, as much as he loved Israel. But he loves all of us, even our enemies, the ones that we just we don't like. We harbour harsh thoughts towards them. Jesus was teaching through Jonah, the Ninevites were never enemies. Never enemies. And I want to draw your attention to Romans 5 verse 10. Romans 5 verse 10. Romans 5 verse 10 And it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You and I were enemies to God, and he came to save us, he came to love us, he came to forgive us. And he asks us to do the same to the ones that we find it difficult to love. 
the ones that we naturally hate. We live in a very polarizing world right now. Very polarizing world. How does it feel to love those on the other side? Because God calls you to love them too. And why does he call them? Call us to, to love them as well. Because he is preparing heaven and a room in heaven for them as well. All of heaven's going to be filled with your enemies if you don't do something about it. And the thing we're asked to do is to love them. Love our enemies because heaven's being prepared for them too. God is working out their salvation. And in fact, God used Jonah to go to his enemies. What if God called you to your enemies? What if God called me to my enemies for the purpose of saving them? Because he does. He wants you to do that. Jesus had to deny himself so that he could save his enemies. And so we see that Jonah is really a Jesus Jonah. He's a type of Jesus. If you're like me and you want to commit um, your heart and your, your harsh feelings or your hatred to God and ask for it to be changed, I just ask you to raise your hand. Is there anything in your heart that you would like God to change so that you can enjoy God's love for everyone? Because for Jonah, it even ruined his love for his own God by the end. Hatred seeps into everything that we do, whether we like it or not. So let's fill it with love. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you that you're a friend of enemies. I thank you that you loved me and you died for me while I was still a sinner and while I was an enemy of yours and you reconciled me. I thank you that you sent Jonah to the Ninevites, that, um, that you loved not only the Israelites but every other nation and you had a purpose for them too. May we never think or feel like we have walked too far away from you and may we find that path that you've already ironed out for our return. And fill our hearts with love, Lord. It's human nature to get upset, to get grumpy, to hold and harbour um, harsh feelings toward one another. But Lord, it's not your way. And I ask in this polarising world that you can teach us how to love those on the other side. That it's not us and them, but it's just us. That we can love like you loved the world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.